Welcome to Signs of the Times, a look at recent world events from around our kitchen table. You're with us for another Signs of the Times podcast. Uh, this week, it's just the three of us, myself, Joe, Henry and Scott, and we want to talk about the economy. Uh, we've talked about the economy before, uh, as some of our readers may re- or listeners may remember, but this week we want to talk about the economy in terms of a financial collapse or an economic collapse like last time, but we want to focus a little bit more on the direct effects on the population and uh, look at some maybe past historical evidence of, of, of financial collapses and the effects that those collapses had on uh, on the populations and well we're just going to talk free and easy so so grab your smokes and have a seat if you don't smoke you know grab a glass of whiskey if you don't drink then you should and what the hell are you doing listening to us if you don't drink or smoke then you haven't been listening <laughs> because by now you should be on the verge of a breakdown the topic for this week's podcast came from an article that a reader sent in to us. The article is called Post-Soviet Lessons for a Post-American Century. It's written by Dmitry Orlov, and it was published on the From the Wilderness website. Now, From the Wilderness, as our readers may know, is one of those websites that's promoting the idea of peak oil. And the article is a comparison of the economic crash and the effects of it on the the average citizen in the Soviet Union in the 90s and a projected economic crash that might happen in the United States in the near future. And, of course, according to Orlov and the people at From the Wilderness, this will be due to peak oil, meaning that we are at the end of the oil reserves, and when they run out, modern civilization will start to collapse because we won't have the the basic energy fuel to power it. Now, we are not in agreement with the idea that, that oil is running out. We don't think that it's a fossil fuel. We don't think that it's been proven that it's a fossil fuel. Nevertheless, that doesn't mean that the powers that be won't use the idea of peak oil in order to stage manage and manipulate a crisis. They'll turn off the taps and they'll say, oh, sorry, folks, the, the oil has run out wherein, in fact, that won't be the case. It'll just be uh, their way of turning the screws even stronger. But whether the crisis is from peak oil or from something else, and there are any number of candidates for that, be it uh, terrorist attacks or so-called terrorist attacks or earth changes such as earthquakes and volcanoes, the article is interesting because it gives an interesting look at what happened in the Soviet Union and compares it to the United States, looking for differences between the two. He points out, in a certain way, it was the economic organization under communism made it easier for the people to weather the economic storm after the collapse because of the way society had been organized. Yeah, I mean, he he draws a contrast um obviously between uh, the the way society was organized in 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 communist russia or or post communist russia and the way society is organized at the minute in modern day america obviously in uh, the differences here between capitalism and, and and communism essentially the state 
was it was it was essentially a nanny state. But the, the in in terms of an economic collapse, um, the the shock of of uh, a crash in the economy was lessened to a large degree because of uh, essentially the state control over pretty much everything in terms of housing and transport, etc. So that these uh, uh, services, let's call them, um, were not taken away from the from the people as they would be in a in a capitalist um, uh, society. Exactly. The people in the Soviet Union didn't own their homes or weren't mortgaged to the banks for their homes so that when the economy collapsed, there were no banks to foreclose on mortgages, so people didn't lose their homes. As well, there was a much lower uh, percentage ownership of cars and a higher integration of public services, public transportation, and the public transportation also continued to function during the economic crisis. And uh, Orlov notes that uh, that even the worst gasoline shortages that occurred resulted in only minor inconveniences to people. And he talks about, you know, basically two times a year when they needed to go buy the seeds and when they needed to take their harvested crops and sell them. And, you know, that was pretty much it. And you compare that to the U.S. where uh, he, he goes into great detail and, and actually sort of humorous detail about the... Uh, the structure of the uh, uh, the traffic system, uh, the the highway system in the U.S., and he talks about the uh, the traffic engineers and how they seem to want to design roads to make people drive around in circles and waste gas. And if you look at the way these cities are laid out in the Soviet Union, the central planners liked having people grouped together, so things were highly concentrated. There weren't the same kind of suburbs based on the automobile that there are in the United States. So were the peak oil uh, manipulation to manifest and the tap turned off and people not have any gas for their cars, uh, how would cities function? How would people be able to get to stores uh, even if there were anything, if there was anything left to buy in the stores, the transportation system would fall apart. And as we've mentioned before, there wouldn't be anything left to buy in the stores because most goods in the U.S. are transported by truck. And, of course, that requires requires diesel fuel. And, uh, of course, there's a rail system. But, uh, you know, the, you're talking again about uh, generally uh, electric trains, which are powered by diesel generators. So, again, you know, fuel shortage, that means no goods are delivered. And, of course, these are privately owned companies because most of the transportation companies in the U.S., uh, whether it's local buses or, or train systems or even uh, the, the national bus companies like Greyhound, um, these are not public companies. Yeah, and the way the capitalist economy and, and capitalist companies, uh, corporations are organized, the board and the management has the power to lay off everybody right away and to close the companies almost overnight. That didn't happen in the Soviet Union because of the central planning. Uh, people continued working even if they weren't receiving their salaries regularly. Yeah, which which brings us to the point of labor in the Soviet Union versus in the U.S. Uh, Orlov writes that in the Soviet Union, uh, basically the 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 majority of the people were were skilled labor. Uh, the Soviet Union exported uh, all kinds of things, in addition to oil, you know, weapons and industrial machinery. And you know, you compare this to the U.S., where uh, basically manufacturing jobs are being sent uh, overseas uh, to Mexico. Uh, India in, in terms of uh, especially software engineering and that sort of thing. And so what you're left with is this sort of skeleton 
which consists of basically the, the, the rich executives. And so he comments that uh, this whole process has become known as the brain drain, where, in essence, America's extraction of talent from foreign lands has benefited the U.S., uh, at least up until now, uh, but has obviously not benefited these other countries. And as we've shown recently on the science page, uh, this this uh, policy, so to speak, seems to be beginning to reverse. And then he speculates that were there to be a severe economic crisis in the United States, these highly trained people from around the world would return to their countries uh, to escape it. And one of the interesting points that he makes um, is that when he visited... Um, Russia uh, during this uh, this economic collapse, he he noted that it was the middle classes who seemed to be suffering the most. Uh, he he kind of made the comment that that they were uh, scavenging in the in the in the trash and the, and the dumps to try and uh, piece together a, a part of their their lives, you know, and um, it's part of their lives that they lost and. Uh, it's kind of interesting in terms of when we look at America and, and what might happen in America because in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, uh, when we we saw maybe in, in microcosm uh, similar effects to an economic collapse, uh, we saw that it was the lower classes who, in response to this crisis where there was no food and no jobs and etc., they um, for for this period of days uh, were essentially like the end of the world or the the end of their 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 normal lives had come. It was the lower classes who um, tended to band together and and network and try and uh, try and sort things out for themselves. Which obviously the U.S. government at the time, uh, in, in the stories that we carried at the time, uh, the U.S. government tried to uh, clamp down on this and prevent it from actually happening. So what we're really saying here is that. Um, well, we're not trying to suggest that communism, this isn't about communism being espoused over capitalism or anything like that, but simply to draw uh, the comparison and to look at um, the, the foreseeable effects and, and, the, and, the, and the big fall that uh, uh, a lot of people in America um, will be in for uh, in the event of an economic collapse because they are so immersed in, in an entire capitalist system where they have all of the perks, where they're completely dependent on 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 their lives in terms of the their SUVs and their, uh, their 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 subscription at the local sports club and their their jobs, and their entire lives are are caught up in this in, in all of these in this consumerism and having all of these things, and when all of those things are are, are taken away, well then people's entire their basis for for reality or what they believe to be their reality has been completely removed. Their and of course, identity. Yeah, and of course that, that isn't their reality. I mean, that that is their reality, but it's not the reality. They've been force-fed this reality, this reality and have been uh, forced to believe that this is what it's all about. This is the important thing. And the thing they don't realize is that this can be so easily and so quickly removed. We haven't even touched on the question of violence which is somewhat endemic to the American society, uh, back from the mythos of the Wild West up to today with the uh, close binding of the idea of the right to carry a firearm with political freedom in some way. American culture is rife with violence, and what's going to happen when all of the stops of society are pulled out and, and people are left to fend... Uh, for, for themselves. Orlov also points out that Soviet society was much less mobile than American society, and people in neighborhoods 
tend to to live there for a very long time, if not their entire lives. And so everybody kind of knew one another. If it was only uh, through the faces and walking the streets, you'd recognize one another. So that when times were difficult, there was a social system there, a social net, a network for people to rely upon. This is also the case in in apartments where you'd have multiple generations of families living together, which is quite the extreme from what we see in the United States with the single family dwelling and the basic economic unit of the uh, mother, father, and 2.5 kids. Yeah, so the thing that we have to remember in all of this is that, um, as Roosevelt is alleged to have said, nothing in politics happens by accident. If it happens that way, then it was meant to happen that way. And we can maybe take that a little bit further and um, suggest that it's not just politics because, well, maybe it is politics because, you know, the word politics has a, has a it comes from the Greek word for a citizen. So essentially, he could have been saying that uh, whatever happens in the lives of the citizens you know, anywhere on the planet doesn't happen by accident. If it happens, it happens because it was planned to happen that way. And the thing is that in terms of the economic uh, collapse in Russia and the preceding kind of fall of communism of the, of the, of the Soviet uh, Union, a few months, a few, a few years and, and even a few months before that happened, uh, very few people, if anyone, uh, in, in terms of the ordinary citizen, could have foreseen that or would have expected that if you had suggested that to them at the time that, that things were about to collapse in terms of the entire social order and, and political structure, uh, they would have laughed at you. So these things happen overnight, essentially. So it's just, it, just it, it bears kind of stressing that, again, in the words of Roosevelt, these things are planned to happen and they, they can and do happen overnight, not by pure chance, but because they are planned that way. Yeah, and uh, getting back to what Henry was talking about, about the, the differences in, in the, the cultures and the societies you know, between uh, the U.S. as it is now and, and the Soviet Union uh, before this economic collapse, money in the Soviet Union, uh, as Orlov writes, didn't have uh, the same value uh, in terms of, you know, I mean, in, in the U.S. now, it's, it's, you know, money is everything. You know, I mean, money is power, money is social status. And, and in the Soviet Union, it was, you know, he writes that, you know, if if your your neighbors or your friends fell on hard times, it was perfectly normal, you know, for for people to just, you know, spread the wealth basically because everyone had these jobs and everyone had like a fixed income and all these, uh, you know, normal everyday items had fixed costs, and it was it was just, you know, sharing. Money didn't have the same the same meaning for people. Yeah, and it was a means to an end, not not an end in itself. The idea of just having money for the sake of having money was not the point. The point was that if money was used for feeding yourself and and and, and there was no real necessity to kind of have vast amounts of money to obviously this is this was obviously regulated as well by the whole idea of communism because you know the, the state controlled wages and and jobs etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean the Soviet Union wasn't exactly uh, a communist state. I mean, it, it was more like a, a welfare state that was run by uh, an elitist group. And I mean, it's um, w which I mean, when you think about it, it's pretty much the the exact same thing as, as as the U.S. I mean, of course, you have this difference. You know, the difference in terms of the, the way that people value money and and the materialism in the U.S. is is so much greater than in the former Soviet Union. But at the same time, you have this this identical structure of the the power elite who have the wealth. They have the, the the political clout, and you know they pull all the strings, and 
And I mean, in, you know, that's essentially the same. What's not the same is that in the U.S., basically everything is, uh, as Orlov notes, nicely set up to make an economic crash far more miserable. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, that's in, in terms of uh, it having always been the way uh, of, of, of there being a political elite that controls things, regardless of the type of, of society that or, or the type of government that they, that they are that they are ruling over. This is this is very true because um, you know we we can see that from history that it's been a a group a small group of of power elite who have simply used these various forms of in in recent years anyway have used these various forms of of government uh, these supposedly opposing forms of government uh, i.e. communism and capitalism or socialism and the thing is that uh, while that for the people that might might uh, be an obvious difference that there's a difference in their lifestyles etc the fact is that at the top level where this, these societies or the forms of government are being orchestrated there is no difference there we're talking simply about a global elite who have always had the same goal which was to rule over the people in whatever way they they saw fit or that in whatever way best fit the the, the times that were in it which brings us back to the subject that we have talked about quite often in the past and that we will no doubt repeat Often in the future, the question of psychopaths and ponderology, it's clear to us that both the capitalist system and the communist system are psychopathic systems, but don't think that an economic crash is going to somehow uh, save us from this if we read the descriptions of what happened uh, in the Soviet Union that Orlov gives we see that there is very, very fertile ground for the psychopath to maintain power. As he says, it's not a civilization that collapses so much as an economic system, and as it collapses in the crevices of the crumbling structure, you get new economic forms emerging, one of which at the beginning is barter, and the barter is based on people having hoarded or stockpiled consumer items that people need, such as soap, razors, toilet paper, these kinds of things that then become, they take on a value that they they don't have in normal society, they become more valuable than money. But the kind of people that are able to maneuver in this kind of situation are, are going to be the kind of people who only think about themselves, who have no conscience. Well, yeah, I mean, we had a good example of that in, uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, where... Um you know, we've already mentioned that uh, these uh, people who uh, from New Orleans who, who banded together and tried to kind of uh, make their lot a little, a little better, um, were attacked essentially by the National Guard under the instructions of the U.S. government. And they, um, there was another uh, incident where um, you had, I think it was a mayor of one of the local towns uh, who uh, was um, blocking the bridge so that people couldn't leave New Orleans, wouldn't let them into his town. Well, yeah, there was there was him, but there was another guy I was thinking of. Um, I think it might have actually been in New Orleans. Um, we'll have to look it up. But there was, a, I think it was um, an official of of New Orleans who who uh, had realised that uh, members of FEMA or represent, representatives of FEMA had come down and cut his communication lines to essentially the outside world, uh, just arbitrarily with no with no explanation. And uh, he had to post one of his uh, a policeman, an armed guard or a policeman on the door with orders to shoot anyone that came along and tried to cut the communication lines again. This is is an example of the of the thinking 
and, and the type of people that Henry's talking about uh, that, that 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 spring up and, and see this uh, suffering uh, of of other people um, as an opportunity for them to to capitalize on, um, and so in in the event of an economic collapse, people need to be aware that there are going to be people out there who are going to be watching uh, you, for example, the ordinary ordinary person in the street who is maybe concerned about his neighbors who are in a bad way or who need help, etc., etc., and they're going to be doing everything they can to, to profit from that situation and screw you over. So the the picture looks rather grim indeed, and despite all the, the, the comparisons that, that Orlov makes at the end of his article, he makes some conclusions that are, well, rather optimistic. Feel-good conclusions for his American audience, we'd call them. Yeah, and he talks about how Americans are, you know, they're far better at communal living than... Uh, than Russians ever were. They're generous and they have an altruistic impulse to give to other people. And I mean, I'm American and I lived there for a good many years. And uh, I would have to say that, you know, my personal experience and, and I mean, from, you know, talking to everyone I knew that basically that's just not true. And <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing is, like, if you're if you're so if you've been taught and 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 um, if you've learned that, for example, your SUV is 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 a major part of your life, and that you really really need major it, and you're part and, of who you are. Yeah, and and that you've come to exactly exactly see it as part of yourself almost. Well, when you lo- no longer have that SUV or you no longer can run that SUV, you're gonna tend towards kind of being concerned about having that back and we're just using SUV here as an example here but there other, there's other frills that we could cite of, of capitalism that are that are completely insignificant in the grand scheme of and things that beyond. people are going to be extremely concerned about uh, and and the and thing is that this frills to, to even people's jobs well yeah and and the thing is that the, the idea that uh, a people who have been so kind of programmed in this way uh, would immediately turn around and become altruistic and not be concerned about uh, about getting fuel for their SUV and would possibly you know not rob their neighbour uh, of of fuel or or try to screw him over. Um, and this is again we talked about people you know who who would be altruistic. There may well be there certainly will be people who will be who will be motivated to to care for their 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 suffering neighbours etc. But there will be a lot of people who be, because of the the nature of the capitalism in in the US and the fact that it has been directed by a bunch of psychopaths. A lot of these a lot of people in the US and and also in Western Europe. But we're talking specifically here about about the US and an economic collapse collapse there. Um, a lot of those people have been essentially psychopathized in a way in their thinking and in their attitudes um, by the, the people who have governed them and have set the social norms and the social policies and, and what people need and what they what they don't need, etc., etc. And none of it is... It's all well and good while, while it's all available and freely available for at least a portion of, of the American people. But when that's taken away, I mean, people are going to be in shock and to avoid that shock or to at least, at least lessen that shock somewhat... There needs to be a serious restructuring of perspective before that happens. Americans consider that their country is the most advanced, the most free, the most everything. And when the collapse comes, they will be given a very rude awakening as to the facts. There are many signs that we talk about, we have been talking about for many years, such as September 11th and the legislation such as the Patriot Act that was brought in after that. 
the signs are there for the people who want to look and see what is really truly going on but most people it's really going to take a tremendous shock such as that as we're discussing tonight to wake them up and what we're trying to do is give some kind of forewarning to these people to you the listener if you're if you're in america about what you can do to to avoid this tremendous shock or as we say to at least lessen this tremendous shock uh, and to start to sit up and, and, and take notice of what's going on and to look at what your life is and look at what your what, what your priorities are in your life um, because what's the point in being so concerned with so many um, kind of material goods and material, material, not material necessities but material frills when they may, may well be taken away in, in the blink of an eye basically I mean it serves no one to be so wrapped up in, in, in believing that they need these things when all the signs point to the fact that someone is planning to take them away. And here Arlov does give a hint of a possible way out when he discusses the difference of reactions among the people who were very, very identified with the Soviet system and those people who had a more... Uh, you know, we don't really care about the whole thing, who weren't identified with it. And he talks about uh, Dauphinism as a, a dominant ideology. And he says Dauphinism means, uh, kind of in a rough translation, not giving a rat's ass. It's the people who, even though they were highly educated, would take very, very humble jobs so that when they left their job, they'd go and do what was really important, which was talking with their friends, exchanging, and just sitting and watching life. And it's this capacity to be able to just sit back and watch what is going on, not identifying with what you're seeing, that is going to enable people to have the flexibility and the fluidity to be able to respond as this crisis unfolds. Yeah, and you're talking here about uh, responding in a way that is essentially the the complete opposite of 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 what uh, American capitalist society has taught people, which is to to network uh, in a way that is some at least somewhat altruistic, uh, and to to you know it's almost like communism as as it should have been, uh, the idea of, of people working together for the good of the people that are working together. But of course, we like to reiterate that you know we're not espousing communism here, but uh, simply using it as as an example and we're also not espousing you know pitching your dvd player in the garbage can and burning your suv uh, i mean you know the the point is that you know a lot of people send us emails and say oh you're so negative and oh why are you focusing on all this bad stuff and you know i mean the, the point as henry says is you know the signs are all there and uh, you know i mean you know, we can see what's coming and when you read an article like this one by orlov uh you know you you have an opportunity and you know it's 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 an opportunity to if you if you can't prepare financially and and i mean you know how do you you know prepare financially i mean he he makes a few suggestions in the article uh you know related to the bartering that that henry talked about uh, i think he recommends getting boxes and and putting goods that would be uh tradable and packing them in uh, boxes nitrogen packing you know which of course everyone can just get a tank of nitrogen you know no problem yeah, so we're just talking about being smart here. We're not talking about like stocking up for the end of the world, and 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 because we're not suggesting that it's going to be the end of the world, but we're talking about being smart uh, and simply taking precautions. 
foreseeing, uh, recognizing the signs and and foreseeing the uh, the potential disaster that's coming down the line, and um, and, and taking some reasonable measures to to lessen your suffering. Suffering, and of course, as we've said, one of the major things that you can do to lessen your suffering is to sit up and take notice and realign your perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know you you can, in a sense psychologically immunize yourself uh, from a great deal of the shock if you're you know seeing the signs now and you're you're thinking about it and you're you're preparing not just in a, a physical way but in an emotional and 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 mental and psychological way uh, and it'll be much easier to survive we've mentioned the idea of peak oil that we don't believe that peak oil is a reality but that it may well be used uh, to precipitate or or to as, as a plausible excuse for, for an economic collapse. But there's also the idea that uh, peak oil is uh, quite closely tied to the 9-11 event because one of its major exponents is uh, Mike Rupert, who, on whose website this article appeared. Um, and Mike Rupert was obviously a, a major 9-11 investigator and then did this complete turnaround where he yeah, kind of decided that you know people shouldn't investigate 9-11 anymore because peak oil was coming. Now, that was a very, uh, very smart if if you're if you're dumb enough it was a very smart uh, way to um to to sidetrack the whole 911 investigation and to kind of uh, ramp up the fear factor and scare people away from investigating 911 but there's also um the possibility and there's also any number of 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 other ways that an economic collapse could be precipitated one of them being the 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 all too common terror attacks these days uh, a major another major terror attack uh, in the US could could also be used as a as a plausible excuse to to send the the economy into freefall uh, there's also natural cataclysms earthquakes um another another hurricane um or even a meteorite impact but maybe that's later on down the line and furthermore you know say you go and you you prepare yourself physically and, and mentally and emotionally and however you need to prepare yourself uh, for the economic crash and nothing happens say we're totally wrong about you know all the, the seeing the signs and all this stuff you know say we're dead wrong economic crash never happens well you know what have you lost by preparing well, exactly. I mean, because there's the, uh, I mean, if, if an economic collapse doesn't happen, the, the the steps that we're proposing that people take uh, need to be taken anyway. Because what we're talking about here is sitting up, getting your nose out of your Xbox or DVD player, or you know, out of your 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 neighbor's wife's chest. And cause, <laughs> well, this can be this can can only be a good thing because we're talking about reality here and the fact that. Regardless of whether there's an economic collapse or not, people are completely uh, living in a world of illusion in terms of, uh, of of their priorities or what they hold dear in life and what they think life is all about. Because if any, you can rest assured that if an economic collapse doesn't occur, something else is going to occur. That's one thing we can say uh, with with certainty, uh, that something major is going to happen over the next uh, few months or next year. And uh, whatever it is, it's not going to be good and everybody is going to need their wits about them and they're going to need to be sitting up and looking beforehand at this coming along so it doesn't slap you in the, in the face. Just like that. Just like that.